Welcome to the discussion, Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Tom Hines is Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. We've got Sanjay Gupta, the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples is Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and Mark McNulty. He's the Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. It's good to have you all on here with us today. And this idea of communication uh, is really moved a long way from when you had a telephone on your desk in the office and uh, maybe a two-way radio out in the field in the age of data and IP over everything uh, is pretty much uh, with us now. And so we want to explore some of the options, some of the solutions people are looking at for this world of integrated communications. And Sanjay, why don't we start with you? Give us a sense of your field communications requirements and the strategies you're using, say, when SBA goes on scene to uh, work with local businesses after a disaster. How do you do it? And what, uh, what are your question goals? Here. Yeah, great question here, Tom. I would say that uh, certainly we are relying on integrated uh, voice and data uh, circuits and solutions and technologies to enable that. Uh, certainly we use voice over IP solutions extensively, but to the point about uh, you know disaster field work, uh, in fact, lately we have been reducing that kind of uh, actual work. Uh, FEMA tends to do more of the actual field uh, deployment but from our perspective, we certainly continue to you know, rely on the traditional mobile cell phones. Uh, and we are also providing the capabilities to do voice over IP calls uh, through your cell phones as well. Uh, so there are common technologies that have been deployed uh, in our agency, including others uh, like uh, Teams or Skype. And so we enable those capabilities. But let me give you another specific example of how we brought uh, collaboration in a virtual environment uh, at the onset of the pandemic uh, so we created a virtual command center for a uh, for our our front office and the in the task force that was uh, um, organized by the administrator of the SBA. Uh, and yes, some people were there in the HQ office at the SBA, but for a large part, most of the folks were working re remotely. And so what we did was through this virtual collaboration center, uh, which used Microsoft Teams. Uh, we were able to have all participants uh, collaborate, uh, including voice calls and or through asynchronous communications. And that was uh, something very effective for us. We stood that up in 24 hours and that allowed us to use that capability from our executive team standpoint. So yeah, we have been using these uh, quite actively and we continue to look for new opportunities. One final example I'll say is that we also use something called as Teams Live Events and that allows us to reach out to uh, in one event, up to 10,000 potential participants. And obviously, uh, with SBA being at the forefront of the pandemic response, we were doing a lot of outreach. So, so those kind of capabilities came in handy. I guess we're in an age when pretty much everyone is in the field because nobody's in the office. Correct. All right. And Devarius, also, it's true for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, an on-scene agency very often. Tell us about your communication strategies as they look today and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so, uh, so one of the, the major lines of effort within or major mission drivers inside of the Corps is the disaster relief mission. Um, and as you know, we're going through disaster reliefs now uh, with regards to Hurricane Laura that is definitely Palm of the South. Um, so the Corps has actually deployed units out currently right now. We're actually fighting those efforts. Um, so when you start to talk about the Blue Roof mission, uh, you start to talk about deployable units, tactical comms, and those type of things. We've been working with a lot of our mission partners to deploy a lot of those mobile units to provide and establish communications where those lines may be broken currently right now. So um, also when you begin to look at uh, things such as uh, laptops and, and, and effective comms, um, we're also fighting that mission as well too to support those. Um, I think COVID-19 uh, was another good example, building those alternate care facilities being able to perform missions at the tactical edge to be able to meet mission intent, um, to be able to support not just the stand up, but being able to log a lot of the data elements and those type of things. Those are some of the real world missions that the Corps has actually supported and are currently supporting now um, to include being able to stand up mobile call centers. Um, because as, as issues arise, as, as, you, as you fight floods and those type of things, 
you don't necessarily know what you're walking into, but for residents to have the ability to call in and say, hey, I need help and those type of things. Those are just some of the things we're doing within the Corps of Engineers to kind of assist being able to move things forward from a technical perspective to help fight and enhance our mission as we go forward. So it might be safe to say that in any situation like that, you're looking for a diversity of channels uh, to have redundance, uh, redundancy to be able to get back and forth with both vo voice and data. Right, and we try to employ this uh, triple active architecture. That's where we're modernizing. Um, currently right now, we, we do have an active active, meaning we do have some aspect of redundancy but when you get into that triple active type of concept, that's really where we're ultimately trying to be. And through our modernization efforts as we move through 21, um, we're working to deploy that at, at the core. And triple active, what are the three pieces that make the triple? So if you look at it, when you think about physical sites, um, if you think of it from the side of a coin, you have three sides of a coin. So if you're, let's just say, performing maintenance, um, you have the ability to fail over to many different areas to where I can patch one aspect of and I can feel the other aspect of the traffic over to where it never goes down. Triple active means you're always up. Um, that means your network never goes down. And when you're fighting floods and those type of things, you're 24 seven around the clock. So one of the things we've seen is that we take our network down maybe about over the course of a week, at least about 40 hours a week just for maintenance. Um, and right now that's kind of unacceptable when you think about 24 hour mission because it doesn't stop. So our goal now is to continue to be able to patch maintain the network. So we employ this, 20, this triple active architecture, which, which gives us triple redundancy to where we are never down. Got it. Okay. And uh, Pat Flanders, let's move to you. I know you may have to depart the meeting a little early because of mission requirements, but uh, tell us about some of the communications requirements, two-way or multi-way and maybe uh, you know, outside of the uh, confines of the agency offices. Right. So, um... Well, in, in the Department of Defense, you know, we, we the, the Defense Health Agency, work very closely with the services. And so you can kind of think of, of this as there's a fixed base component, and then there's an operational component, like a deployed component. And so um, in that deployed component, the services develop the networks that they use. I mean, so for things like the Mercy and the Comfort, right, they're running on Navy networks. And then in deployed areas of the Army, say, they're, what they use to communicate is, is developed by them to support the different roles that they have in different units. The 82nd has different equipment. You know, it's an airborne unit than, say, an armor unit, all tailored for those unique things. So that said, the Defense Health Agency builds the software that runs on all of those things. So we all work together. Um, now, for the fixed base hospitals, that's pretty much all my agency. And um, so there you find the things you, you'd expect, right? So we have um, Citrix established at the gateways of our network, um, which allows people to come in and we configure it so that they can communicate using you know, full desktop experience or only access to certain applications. Um, I think uh, most people know that um, the Department of Defense Chief Information Officer stood up a Microsoft Teams implementation at the beginning of the pandemic, um, which has been very helpful because it, uh, it allows access from outside of the network. So you can use it with home computers on your Comcast connection or whatever and still communicate with people on the DOD network. And then in addition to that, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we, we uh, it greatly expanded our Cisco CMS capability and allows for voice and video um, with the president's announcement of the relaxation of HIPAA temporarily that allowed us to use some commercial things like Adobe Connect, Skype and FaceTime that we normally wouldn't use. And then in the hospitals, um, you know, cell phones, uh, there's a product called Vocera, which allows doctors and nurses to communicate within the hospital, kind of like two-way radio kinds of things. And so that's just the, the, the gist of it. There are uh, a lot of uh, initiatives going on right now to evaluate things like wearables um, for tracking a virus and contact tracing. Um, and then, you know, that dovetails into, hey, how do you get the data off the wearables, the network? Will it work on ships the same way as it works on the land, that kind of thing? 
Interesting, yeah. So a lot of diversity there too in the applications and in the methods and modalities of communications. And so to Mark McNulty of Motorola, and you've got kind of an across the government board, uh, view here, give us what it is you're seeing, what are the trends you're seeing in terms of what agencies are asking for, what they're planning and what, you know, what they're doing now. Well, I, and thanks for having me, Tom. I mean, much of much of what I've heard here, uh, I would echo. You mentioned at the beginning, right, the the, the desktop phone, which has certainly gone the way uh, of the buggy whip, um, and then the two-way radio, um, but which still exists uh, very prominently out there in the field. Um, in fact, I would say, you know, we mentioned communications for on-scene disaster response. That's both voice and data, and mission-critical push-to-talk voice LMR radio. Uh, is still the, the gold standard by which those kinds of communications get done, um, certainly with across the, uh, the military services, and Sanjay mentioned FEMA, uh, as well as all of our federal law enforcement uh, agencies that, that are there. And then data around situational awareness, right? And that's everything from cloud-based applications uh, that we're enabling, um, you know, that, uh, that allow all these agencies to coordinate with one another and effectively uh, respond and, and help communities recover. Um, you know, that improving of situational awareness um, also is now leveraging, we've heard some folks say, right, the commercial cellular networks that are out there, um, whether that's FirstNet, Verizon with their recovery services and others, um, really allowing us now to bring, you know, location information into, uh, into our planning, both where are assets, uh, where are people. Um, in some cases, whether, you know, we're also in the body-worn video and, and mobile video space, you know, car-mounted video or vehicle-mounted video, um, how do we bring that video back um, to allow folks that are in a command post or in a command center to get some view of the situation on the ground? So, you know, these, for us, a lot of it also becomes um, integrating these networks together. Um, and that integration can take place at the network level um, we're also bringing that, that integration together um, and allowing us to rethink, you know, devices that are out in the field. How do we bring both the traditional LMR capabilities along with those broadband capabilities and mobile applications that are accessing cloud-based databases and functions um, to the user in the field, depending upon, you know, their, their personal preference. So it sounds as if there's a pretty good element of reach back, almost bi-directional reaching both from the field into the central office where some policies and financial decisions might be made. And, Correct. And, and in many cases, we're, we're, we're taking the public safety workflow that used to be command center applications, obviously on a military base, there's a 911 center, computer-aided dispatch, records keeping. We're taking all of that workflow um, and mobilizing it into the field um, to give those people on the ground, the same type of information that might have previously only been available to folks sitting in the command center. But we're also giving the command center through that application and the feeds that are coming in from the field users, giving them greater visibility to what's actually going on in the field. Interesting. And I want to go back to Pat Flanders because uh, you mentioned, you know, there's a activity of, of close association with the armed services and also the fixed installation. So it sounds like that is really uh, a trend that you might also see from the standpoint of the Defense Health Agency. Right. And so, um, well, if you think about it, um, hospitals exist, you know, on installations. And installations are either joint, run by the Army, the Navy, the Air Force. And, and so uh, the hospital, you know, is dependent upon the services of the installation. And those kind of emergency communication capabilities are unique to each one of those installations. And I know that um, in some cases, some of the services have picked one solution and implemented it service-wide and others they haven't. But it really is kind of a, a, local, a, a local thing with respect to what happens on the installation. And then again, in the deployed environment, um, those are also run by the services and developed very specifically for the units that they're, that they're going to be fielded in. Um, you know, things like, I'm going to date myself, but uh, Blue Force Tracker in, in military vehicles, right? So that, that does, that's a communications capability used to, to fight wars as well as ask for support and help in, when not in wartime, those kinds of things. Okay, and we're going to take a break in just a moment. But before we do, I want to uh, kind of introduce the topic here that we're going to get to next. And I'm going to throw it to you, Tom Hines. 
I sense that there is cloud somewhere in the mixture of all these base-related, field-related activities and communications and data exchanges. Fair to say? Yes, that would be correct. And can you elaborate? Yeah, I mean, if we're picking up on on the on the prior discussion uh, specifically, uh, some of the some of the things or some of the innovation we're looking at has to do with how we how we communicate between members of care teams uh, in our facility. Uh, we we've had a number of pilot programs going on, but but consider this description a little bit. You have a you have a patient and an entire care team uh, in our in our system. Uh, it's not really a single uh, patient to provide a relationship. There's really a team associated, particularly when you're talking about an inpatient encounter. So members of that care team then need to be linked to one another to be able to communicate in more or less real time and receive messaging also in real time about the condition of that patient. Or let's say there's a specialist associated with the care of that patient and there's a need for that specialty care capability, then they can call that person in and begin communicating and then using things like text, message, text messaging uh, via the phones, uh, their phones in particular, and this is all mediated via cloud, they can receive additional information about the patient's conditions and the need for that care. Finally, um, in addition, by using the wireless network in the facilities, we know not only where the patient is because we, we uh, have code, we have, uh, we have location capability on beds and gurneys and that sort of thing, but we also know where the entire care team uh, care team is located by physical location, and then of course we can quickly communicate with that person, or or they, we can uh, get them moved to an area where they're most needed. So that's that's an innovation we've done, and again, that's all mediated via a cloud service. Um, we haven't made a selection of a product like that uh, for deployment across the enterprise, but again, there are a number of pilots uh, already in place. All right, on that note, we're going to take a short break and get back into this whole topic of cloud after we come back. Let me tell you who my guests are today. They are Pat Flanders, Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Tom Himes, who we just heard, is Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. Sanjay Gupta is Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples is Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and Mark McNulty. Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions here on Federal News Network. In times of crisis and everyday moments, Motorola Solutions technology empowers America's first responders. As an innovator of mission-critical technologies for over 90 years, we're bringing public safety, national security, and national defense into the future with powerful new capabilities to protect the homeland and keep communities safe. Delivering more control to operational command, the ability to produce valuable immediate intelligence, and new ways to share information with the right people at the right place at precisely the right time. Welcome back to our discussion, Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions here in Federal News Network. My guests today are Tom Hines. He's the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. We've got Sanjay Gupta, is the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples is Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and Mark McNulty, Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were getting into cloud, which is probably the biggest topic, well, one of the biggest anyway, on the minds of pretty much anyone connected to the federal government. And so maybe, and I think there's no agency that doesn't have a cloud strategy of some kind, cloud and communications services hosted in the cloud is our topic today. So, Devarius, why don't we start with you Give us the cloud picture for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and what sorts of hosted communications systems and services you're looking at for cloud uh, delivery. All right, so, so cloud, cloud is an integral part into our, of our modernization strategy. And we have, we, we've started down the path of identifying in a cloud smart manner, not just to be cloud ready, but doing it in a cloud smart manner because the reality is for the core, everything won't go to the cloud. Um, so with that being said, we have to take into account many different factors, uh, responsiveness, uh, network latency, uh, cost transparency, uh, service levels, 
And we have to begin to also think about our, our resources or our end users that are also trying to leverage the capability because all of those things will either make you or break you when it comes to cloud migration. So with that being said, we have moved several major critical uh, mission critical systems to the cloud or we are almost 100% there. Uh, one of them being our financial management system, um, which does, which is pretty much the heartbeat of the core, um, especially dealing around a lot of our finances. And we've also moved to, to O365. So capabilities such as email, which is a mission critical war fighting system um, because it allows us to effectively communicate back and forth. Um, and then we're also leveraging things such as CDR, which is the commercial virtual remote environment, um, which is pretty much teams that the DOD CIO has leveraged, uh, allowed us to leverage and rolled out. So our cloud journey is well underway. Um, and with that being said, we've seen various improvements with regards to how we access certain applications, as well as from an effectiveness, being able to do our job and collaborate. So, so with all of those different factors being baked in, I think the cloud journey is, as I said, well underway, but it's also showing us that if leveraged properly, then you will, you'll see a lot of success. But if you don't take the time to really map those things out from a communications perspective, you, you'll either have degrade, degradation and comms, um, a lot of mission uh, downtime, and your efficiency and effectiveness won't be seen. So that's why we're moving in a cloud smart manner. Um, and also to be able to show from a cost transparency perspective, how much we're actually being able to reinvest in other things. So the cloud has helped us out in many different ways. Okay, and Sanjay, what about SBA? Uh, I, I'd say, let me kind of give a few examples from a communications angle, Tom, first, and then I'll go a little broader from that perspective. Um, in addition to what Deverius just talked about, uh, one of the things we have found by using cloud-based integrated voice and data solutions uh, for either communications or collaboration, a few of the features I'll just highlight which are relevant and important. For example, uh, if you're doing an event uh, with multiple people external to the agency or internal to the agency, uh, you, you have these cloud-based and cloud-hosted solutions that allow you to almost near real time, I would say, do translation into multiple languages. Uh, that's a feature which is obviously of benefit. Uh, it also allows you closed captioning done in an automated manner, so help you from an accessibility angle. Now, having said all of those, I will also uh, caution to say that, yes, those are capabilities that are, let's just say, a little rough around the edges for now. Uh, and certainly there's some room for improvement. Uh, then we can also look at the ability to do, uh, once you record those sessions, and you can do a search if you are coming back later on uh, using metadata tags, and you can search for a particular uh, event or a name or, or some metadata that you're looking for. So if you are looking at a recording of a one hour session, uh, and let's say you want to see a reference to your own name, you can look for that and see and get to that point. So I'm just illustrating some of these capabilities that today's uh, uh, cloud hosted solutions offer de facto out of the box. Let me kind of switch from a slightly different angle, which is from a connectivity standpoint. Uh, just from context, SBA, uh, you know, we were about 4,000 from a staffing standpoint, early March of this year, when I say staff, meaning contractors and feds. Uh, right now we are about 14,000 plus. Uh, so, so you can imagine as we are growing in the staff uh, and most uh, of their staff is in a telework status. So we have used cloud-based secure connectivity solutions that are allowed this workforce, as you can see, about 10,000 plus people, and we're still adding, uh, to connect in a secure fashion, in a high performance manner, uh, and uh, with a good customer experience, because ultimately we need them to be uh, productive, we need them to be capable to, to perform their uh, duties and responsibilities in a secure manner. Uh, so certainly some of those are other examples of how we're using this. And certainly one other final example I'll talk about is uh, we're using cloud-based or cloud-hosted solutions for doing things like sentiment analysis on inbound emails. Uh, as you would imagine, we are getting a ton of inquiries uh, via email through our customer support uh, email boxes. And so what we're doing is we applied natural language processing capabilities so we are able to harvest some sentiments uh, based on the inflow of the emails. Uh, and those are, by the way, in millions of emails we're talking about. Uh, and doing it in an automated manner allows us to now see that. That informs our ability to modify our frequently asked questions, our policy positions, uh, and also look for our other applications 
uh, what changes possibly we may be able to make based on the customer sentiment analysis. So that's some of the few examples, I'd say, from an SBA perspective. And, and Mark, let me ask you, uh, in the communications realm, uh, with this idea of bringing all this data together in a communication standpoint, which may or may not include voice, but it might be just simply exchange of information of various uh, sources in a situation or in a context, is it possible to inculcate all of these different cloud instances that might be different commercial clouds through a communications device? Uh, it is, um, as, as, uh, as the various mentioned, right? And with his smart cloud uh, comment, um, I think we see it, you know, look, the, all the benefits of cloud apply to emergency response. They, were, they apply to national defense, homeland security and, and law enforcement functions, whether we're talking about security, reliability, or, or lower costs, right? Um, I think I think what we're seeing in the space where we are around public safety, law enforcement, national defense is it, that it will be more of an evolution than a revolution. But these cloud native technologies um, are actually allowing us, as I mentioned before, the, the traditional land mobile radio and now wireless broadband, whether that's LTE or, or even agency level Wi-Fi, the ability to integrate those technologies together is being enabled by um, cloud technologies, right? So enabling any device on any network uh, to be able to connect with one another, whether that's for the exchange of data or even in the case of the exchange of push-to-talk voice, right? So connecting an LMR radio uh, with a broadband push-to-talk application running on a smart device or a tablet. So there, there's certainly, um, and then there's new capabilities that we're going to deliver as well. I talked about the convergence of LMR and LTE into a single device. That device running an Android you know, operating system now brings new capabilities to those first responders in a single device as opposed to disparate devices. Or if they want to carry separate devices, how do we how do we leverage those two things together with Bluetooth um, so that they're aware of one another, they're aware of each other's capabilities, and they're going to leverage whichever network happens to be available. Um, and again, cloud, and we're seeing it obviously with the pandemic, we're seeing it with the, the hurricanes that were mentioned earlier, um, you know, folks being uh, removed from their typical workplace all across government, 911 centers that are sitting now leveraging cloud technology for 911 call taking, leveraging cloud technology for still doing their computer-aided dispatching and getting resources where they need to be, um, while perhaps working outside of the impact zone of a hurricane or working from home because of the global pandemic. Got it. And I want to ask Tom Hines uh, to follow up on that because there is both a data integration and a location capability. I think you talked about that before the break, uh, locating patients, locating different uh, hospital assets. Is the clinical data from systems that are, you know, protected in other ways for privacy purposes and so on, is that also something you're looking to get integrated uh, into the communications such that all the people anywhere that we're trying to locate in a facility or on, in the field can have the knowledge they need to be able to do something about whatever the situation might be. If that made sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, a particular service that, that might there might be interest in, and that's our, our nurse call services. Um, if you think about a tier one help desk scenario, and there's been some discussion about you know, folks taking calls and things to provide a service to the community. We do the same thing for patients. Uh, and that is a cloud-based implementation for that service. It's, it's really a, a call center effectively with some cloud services integrated with it, which then in turn communicates with a system that we call TRICARE Online. TRICARE Online is the primary patient portal for all of our beneficiaries. It's a place where people can go to get information and request a service and support. But that's tied in with the nurse call line. So, for example, if you believe you have COVID or, or some suspicion that someone in your family needs treatment, uh, you can enter that data in TOL. It triggers a call to you. You don't have to call the nurse call line, who then will walk you through a kind of a diagnostic procedure on the line, record that information. They know from our system to your primary care physician. They can then schedule a follow-up appointment, which today, as much as anything, is done uh, done virtually, of course to avoid that contact uh, in the clinical setting. And of course, your patient record is then updated based on that encounter information. Uh, and then we uh, then do follow-up via that same TOL system, which goes to the patient's phone to make sure they were satisfied with the encounter and do they need additional support. That's, that's just one example 
of how we're using these types of things in the clinical setting. All right, and that brings up the question, and I'm going to ask you, Sanjay, first, that is we have a third element, if you will, in access, and that is the person being served, the citizen or the, or the recipient of whatever the output of that federal mission might be. And that raises all kinds of questions about the systems and the data available and, and what are your, what's your thinking there and what are you trying to engineer in, in that situation? Yeah, I think uh, um, let me just kind of reflect back just on the initial question, Tom, you had asked about uh, integration and how are we using location data. So let me give you two quick examples and I'll also address your question after that. And I think these are pretty insightful and impactful uh, examples. So first off, let me talk about geofencing. So one of the things uh, I led the implementation of early in, in March, when I say early in March, actually in the last week of March, is uh, we, I recognized, I was looking at our, our inbound traffic at all of the various uh, SBA web properties, you know, whether disaster loan applications or the PPP loan applications. And I realized that, you know, we had traffic coming from outside the continental United States. And I realized very quickly uh, we had a simple way to, if you will, block that traffic because these programs obviously are intended only for uh, the continental United States. So we implemented geofencing, a very simple solution uh, based on some of the cybersecurity tools we have. What simply put, what it allows us to do is it restricts the traffic based on the origin of the traffic. It looks at the IP address. Based on the IP address, you know where you're coming from, if you will, that originating IP. Uh, and uh, very simply, if you do not belong to, it's a simple rule set which says if that IP is not from the continental United States, you block the traffic. So what's the implication of that? Obviously, uh, we were getting a lot of traffic from outside the United States. I don't want to say that everything was coming uh, is necessarily nefarious, but the fact that we can use simple technology solutions to block that traffic uh, I can just only imagine how many applicants we could have or applications we may have received, uh, which probably did not qualify because they were not, if you will, um, meeting the, the first eligibility criteria that you need to be from the continental United States. So again, talk about locational data and the application of location data uh, using cloud-based solutions and services to do that. And certainly I, I don't want to diminish the cybersecurity angle as well, uh, that allowed us to improve it from that standpoint as well. So that's sort of example one. Let me give you a simple example number two, which uh, I know we're in the process of implementation. And I'd mentioned earlier about using voice over IP solutions. Uh, and we are in the process of uh, migrating uh, our staff into a pure voice over IP solution. So I know you referenced earlier desk phones. Yes, do we still have a desk phone? Yes, but it's a voice over IP device. So for example, um, I've been obviously like most others in a telework status. So my phone quote unquote has followed me, meaning uh, if my, somebody calls my phone number, it rings either on my laptop or if I'm online or it'll ring on my GFE phone uh, if my laptop is not on and the person who's calling me, he or she would never ever know where I was because for them, I'm connecting to them. And another uh, aspect of that again, uh, and I, I think it's nothing earth shattering is voicemail. Uh, we are able to now deliver voicemail as a email and it automatically is converted in a transcription form of it. So you can quote unquote read your voicemail if you, if you know what I'm meaning by that. Again, having said that, I will also qualify. Those things are a little rough on the edges. So the transcription is not necessarily 100% exact accurate, but nonetheless, that capability is now existing uh, from a locational standpoint. So, so those are just some two examples uh, that, that I think are pretty relevant from, from a communications and locational data use of that uh, from, from what you said. And I think, so one of the things uh, uh, we have been looking into is uh, much, much like that I talked about the example of geofencing, obviously we are examining data even uh, which, uh, for traffic that originates from the continental United States and not for purposes of sort of, you know, at an aggregate level to see where are we seeing quote unquote the hotspots uh, of the citizen traffic coming in uh, into our various uh, web properties and web portals, just to understand if we need to do something to help uh, uh, improve performance uh, for those regions, geographical areas, cities, counties, uh, or locales, uh, because certainly we can work with some of the telecom providers and see if we are seeing an, a surge in traffic from a particular quote unquote hot zone uh, we can work to alleviate those concerns from that stand. So, so that's one way we're looking at it. 
The other thing, obviously, is always fascinating is, uh, you know, seeing um, just sort of uh, overlaying the information from a citizen standpoint and, and sort of putting it on a geographical map and then sort of seeing where are we seeing the most activities and where are we not seeing enough activity, if you will, right? And then once you start sort of looking at that and then kind of, you know, obviously there's many layering you can do, like the census data you layer it with, and that gives you a sense of the population. So, so for example, if you're seeing not enough traffic coming from a state, say like Montana, uh, it's likely that, you know, there may not have been enough um, um, population density there to generate that kind of a traffic as an example, or versus New York City as an example, or LA, right? So we're doing some of that analysis as well to see how, uh, where is the traffic coming from and what is it causing from a, from a standpoint of uh, uh, services consumption from, from a SPA standpoint. I would say we are still certainly in the early stages of how we can utilize this, but certainly we have some ideas of how we can certainly make a more informed use uh, going forward. Certainly it's an aggregate level, so I don't want to sort of cause any alarms by saying that sure. we are examining that beyond that aggregate level. All right, a lot to follow up on. We do need to take a short break, though. My guests today are Sanjay Gupta. He's the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples is Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Tom Hines, Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. And Mark McNulty, Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions here on Federal News Network. In times of crisis and everyday moments, Motorola Solutions technology empowers America's first responders. As an innovator of mission-critical technologies for over 90 years, we're bringing public safety, national security, and national defense into the future with powerful new capabilities to protect the homeland and keep communities safe. Delivering more control to operational command, the ability to produce valuable immediate intelligence, and new ways to share information with the right people at the right place at precisely the right time. Welcome back to our discussion, Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Tom Hines, Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. Sanjay Gupta is Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples is the Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and Mark McNulty. Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Mark, I think you wanted to comment on what uh, Sanjay was talking about before the break, the idea of uh, cloud enablement of legacy functions in this kind of mobile and move-about environment. Right. Sanjay was mentioning, uh, you know, the VoIP phone that's sitting on your desk and now in a remote environment, the ability to route that to his laptop or to, a, you know, to the government-furnished uh, cell phone. Um, I think it's a I think it's a great point, right? It's a it's a big advantage of cloud, one that we're leveraging into our space as well, right? Traditionally, uh, land mobile radio networks are managed by network management terminals where you have to kind of be on site. Uh, if you wanted to reprogram devices, um, you, the technician had to marry up with the user uh, carrying that radio to get it cabled to a laptop to be able to to reprogram it. Uh, now leveraging cloud-based network management. Um, and in the future, actually, cloud-based uh, LMR call processing. Um, you know, we're bringing new network management capabilities uh, to our customers. Um, the other thing around, like the programming, again, leveraging those broadband networks in a converged device. We can now have those devices set up and ready to go by the time they actually deliver to the end user, um, and we eliminate all of that work in cabling or traveling uh, from where the you know, from where the device is to where the technician is that can reprogram it. So cloud absolutely giving us new efficiencies. All right, so we've discussed a lot of the new capabilities, a lot of the new integrations happening. There are more networks coming on the scene. 5G will be with us eventually and LTE and people have to decide, as Devarius mentioned early on, about this kind of triple backup capability for always on communications. And so I never know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. You don't buy software except for the purpose of running, uh, you don't buy hardware except for the purpose of running software, and software can't do anything until you have hardware to run it on. And I was, gonna, I was thinking of when Sanjay mentioned the phone calls, I have a smartwatch, which is not an Apple watch, that uh, is a fitness tracker and GPS, 
and unbeknownst to me, my phone rings on it also. I don't know how that happened. I didn't ask it, but I think that's kind of what we're talking about these days. So let's talk about what are the future hardware software requirements? What is it you see in the future to enable this kind of cloud-enabled integration of data, voice, communications, and so on? Uh, Tom Hines, we'll start with you. All right. So I think the when you talk about mission critical applications, um, the the concerns with with using the cloud are are twofold really, and and people often focus on security, but availability is also a critical consideration. And a number of discussions we've had leading up until now have have sort of gone into that. And again, it's all about and and then on the security aspect, it's, again, it's all about the sensitivity of the data. But if data is secure and you can't get to it, of course, it's no it has no value in terms of uh, meeting your mission objective. So, so we're very concerned about availability. Uh, cloud makes it easy to do things like continuity of operations. So you can have availability zones. People are pretty familiar with that with relative to AWS and Azure, and you can then set up uh, coop instances of those same systems. But immediately that becomes uh, becomes quite expensive, uh, and then you get down to simple things like well, just bandwidth, right? So when we move things into the cloud, tip more often than not, we look at increased latency, and so that affects the performance of the system. In the DoD, we have to have concerns about where our data is stored, so we can only use exclusively U.S.-based U.S.-based uh, data centers, uh, whether it's cloud or not. And that puts us in a difficult position in terms of worldwide operations. The military health system has some 1,300 facilities around the globe, uh, all over the Pacific, uh, Indo-Pacific, Indo as well as Europe. And uh, we can't really support that with cloud infrastructures um, uh, with any kind of performance. And then, of course, there is bandwidth. And finally, people forget the fact that uh, when you put information into the cloud and you ask people to use that, if that's largely used by your on-premise users and your fixed facilities, uh, the issue there is your, what your bandwidth charges are. So not only the communications that you have to lay into the cloud architecture, but then the charges just for simply moving your data uh, in and out of that environment, all which becomes uh, much more expensive than people uh, generally think of. So, so as we think, it, think about cloud architecture, those are some of the considerations uh, that we find ourselves uh, having to, to uh, get into. And some of that, quite honestly, was a surprise to us as we accelerated our migration of those mission applications into those environments. And let me ask you, Devarius, what uh, are you looking at in terms of future capabilities, future software and hardware, if you can get specific, and architectural considerations to make all of this keep advancing? Yeah, we're, uh, we're looking at more of the, the, the as-a-service concept uh, with regards to uh, software and, and, and hosting solutions, even as we look at the cloud understanding you can get those services through uh, infrastructure, platform, and then software. So software is one of the more preferred solutions that we are driving towards as a part of our cloud strategy. Um, however, looking at the, uh, looking at the various platforms, uh, we're more so considering two geographical hubs um, that provides that high availability um, and improved latency of the system performance. Um, however, there's still mission critical applications where, where the cloud is, is, is not so much suitable or sustainable, uh, making that a little bit more difficult to do the analysis of, of new technology um, and those type of things. So when, when you start talking new technology, we're looking at more so software-defined networking, um, being able to deploy uh, various things to, for improvements. Uh, we're also being able to, to, to look at things holistically. So there's really not so much a default answer to, to the question, um, but more so ensuring that you have the proper bandwidth uh, you have the right protocols that are required in order to be successful. We're looking more to ensure that we have the proper network bandwidth, um, the right ports protocols, ensuring that all of those things are properly supported. Um, so that's why we're looking at it from a holistic view, um, because if we don't, then we, we probably won't be as successful. Um, and again, software-defined networking, I think, is one of the more critical elements from a modernization perspective that we're beginning to look at as well, too which bakes in some of your telephony um, as well as your switching and routing and those type of things. Because when you start thinking about maintenance, um, whether it's on-prem or whether even if it's in the cloud, when you start thinking of maintenance and those type of things, all of those aspects are critical. Sanjay, would you say then that the architectural approach is really the most important thing here and then the rest of it falls into place once you know how you want this thing designed? Your yeah, that, that's a very... 
Yeah, that's a very key angle here, Tom. Definitely, uh, architecture is going to play a key, and I think we are seeing a paradigm change in the architecture uh, once we are using more cloud-hosted solutions. Um, so a couple of things that you were asking earlier as well about what do we see going forward, or at least what do I see going forward from a device standpoint or a software standpoint. So a couple of things on the device side I would see is we are going to see an increased use of smarter or more intelligent devices at the edge. Uh, and for two reasons, obviously, uh, our perimeter, which used to be sort of the traditional perimeter, is no longer the, the, the traditional perimeter, sort of the fourth model, if you will. Uh, with the cloud, that is more nebulous, right? So when you are, um, uh, the edge becomes more important from a cybersecurity standpoint. So, so the smartness or the intelligence factor is going to go up, as I see on the edge devices. And you will also have increased capabilities to do some level of computing or validation at the edge. Uh, before you pull the information, if you will, down to your cloud, uh, into your quote-unquote, your core. Uh, so that's one thing that I would see. The other thing I would see uh, happening is connectivity, right? Uh, regardless of whatever you want to call, whether mobile connectivity, whether 5G, or, or other forms of connectivity, because your reliance on cloud-hosted solutions is going to go up. What does that require? Number one, connectivity. If you don't have connectivity, you can have everything you have in your cloud, but you don't have the connectivity. That's the balance you need to strike. And that's why I'm saying the intelligence will allow you to do something remotely if you don't have connectivity, which we know there's still a problem with uh, full level of connectivity in a wireless fashion throughout the continental United States. Sure. On the software side, uh, the things that we are seeing and we have started seeing an implementation through some of the tools is a building, if you will, based on user use uh, uh, use uh, style, personas or personalities or, or your profiles are being built by the tools. And let me give you a case in point here, and this sort of uses sort of machine learning capabilities. So, so for example, let's say, you know, based on my usage style, let's say every day at eight o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, I log into my, my network, I work, take a half hour lunch break maybe, and I work till say 6 p.m. Eastern. Right, and then there's an anomaly detection behavior that comes up to say, what if some morning, and I, let's just say, you know, I upload so much information data or I download so much data or I delete so many emails. Now, if that pro profile pattern is built based on my usage, you can almost imagine now if there's an anomaly to it, whatever that is. So let's say one day I downloaded, you know, 10 times the amount of data that I usually download, that could flag an anomaly to say, look, somebody needs to investigate the profile does not fit this pattern. This is an anomaly to check, right? So there's many such usages that'll occur. We have been using some of these uh, anomalous uh, behavior detection already from a cybersecurity standpoint. So I'll see that probably gonna continue to increase as we go forward in the future. And Mark, there's a little bit of an irony in some of these ideas because as we rely more and more on cloud hosted services, we've also heard for the need for edge computing capabilities not so much the PC, but the device in the hand. So there's Correct. really duality going on here. Absolutely. And from a hardware perspective, obviously, given you know our customer base in federal, whether we're talking law enforcement, DOD, traditional police, fire, EMS types of functions, right? We're highly focused on the hardware side around, you know, purpose-built um, and ruggedized uh, types of devices. Um, and as we talked earlier, right, bring, how do we bring uh, the right combination of device or devices to the user based upon how they want to actually perform their work? So as I said before, whether that's a traditional LMR radio that is aware of a companion smartphone device, ruggedized or otherwise, or whether that's a converged device where we're bringing broadband technologies like LTE and Wi-Fi into a traditional LMR radio to bring new capabilities to our users, those are the types of things that we're focused on from a hardware perspective at, you know, when we talk about architecture, you know, I mentioned earlier, right, more of an evolution uh, than revolution, um, but we are certainly moving toward this idea of uh, cloud-based enablement of, of new functionality, right? So how do we augment current capabilities with cloud-based capabilities? And then also redundancy, and we've heard that word a couple of times today. As we get to cloud-based call processing around traditional LMR networks, rather than a customer whether at a state level or a national level, having to build in their own redundancy, a second data center or call processing center, how do they just build one and build it reliably? And in, in the unfortunate incident that that goes down, fail back over to more of a cloud-based, you know, community cloud-based uh, call processing center, um, you know, for the duration of whatever their outage might be. 
And then you talk about uh, computing, right? And how do we move that at the edge? Um, we're also in the video space, both fixed, fixed security video as well as body-worn and mobile video uh, out in the field. But one of the things we do in our fixed video space is we run that analytics software at the camera. We're telling that the camera is learning the scene. It understands what's normal activity and what's abnormal activity. It could be in a school and it knows when school is in session. Hopefully when we all get back to being in school in session full time, it knows when there's supposed to be movement in the hallway and when there's not, or a door that, you know, it's watching a door and somebody's not supposed to be coming in that door after the children are in for the day. How do we use that analytics at the edge now to alert the person at the back end without necessarily having to stream all of that video that the camera was watching until that event takes place? On the other hand, once I know I have an incident and I wanna go look for that person in the red shirt that came in that door and where else were they in the school today, I'm probably gonna do that computing by leveraging those cloud capabilities to go find, um, you know, from the feed that we got, find all the places where that person showed up that day. All right, so there's a lot of exciting futures I think we can look forward to here. As long as the bandwidth is around, I guess we can pretty much do anything. I want to thank today's guests, Tom Hines, Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation for the Military Health System. Sanjay Gupta is the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration. Devarius Peoples, Chief Information Officer and G6 for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And Mark McNulty. Corporate Vice President and General Manager of U.S. Federal at Motorola Solutions. And I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Motorola. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Cloud Strategies to Fulfill the Mission, sponsored by Motorola Solutions on Federal News Network. The Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at Easter Seals is a resource for veterans and military families facing mental health challenges in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. The Cohen Clinic at Easter Seals provides access to high-quality mental health services and offers child, couples, and family therapy. Their clinicians provide therapy face-to-face -face through secure video teleconferencing and offer flexible hours. The Cohen Clinic at Easter Seals wants veterans and military families to know they're open. For more information, visit mfc.eseal.org.